Here's to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Captain John Picard of the USS Commander Benjamin Sisko, the Federation Starfleet, Deep Space Nine. Welcome to the Greatest Generation. Deep Space Nine. It's a Star Trek podcast by a couple of guys who are a little bit embarrassed to have a Star Trek podcast. I'm Ben Harrison. I'm Adam Pranica. Mail call, Adam. Captain, I'm sorry to disturb you. I'm receiving a code 47. Verify. It is code 47, sir. Starfleet emergency frequency. Captain's eyes only. We have a P.O. box. People send things to the P.O. box, but... uh, also, occasionally people will just send things to the MaximumFun.org mothership, oh. which happened this week. Oh, no. KT, the, uh, the the office manager, I think is the only person at MaxFun that is currently going into the office. Wow. Uh, in order to make sure that the lights stay on and that, uh, you know, things things run smoothly. Can you imagine being the only person working in an office? The only one. <laughs> That means yeah. all those uh, sodas in the fridge are, are theirs. Yeah, yeah, totally. So we got something from, from there as well. Uh, KT was kind enough to, to bring it by the other day, and I had a few things from the P.O. box piling up. So uh, what do you say we get into these things? Yeah, I want to see what we got. I'm going to open this first one. It's just a plain old regular size envelope from uh, Brian and Jennifer in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Brian and Jennifer have clearly sent us either a check or a bill. (laughs) Let's find out which. Dear Ben and Adam, just wanted to let you know that The Greatest Generation has helped remind me how important Star Trek TNG in particular has been in my life. In both middle school and high school, it helped me make friends when I basically didn't know anyone. Now, thanks to the pod, I'm finally watching Deep Space Nine through to the end after falling off in college. Please find enclosed a Trivial Pursuit Genius Edition card that my wife handed to me saying, Send this to the greatest generation. (laughs) Well, when you read it, was it written that way? It it sounded very (laughs) intense just then. Emphasis mine. It took me a second to figure out why, but when I did, I agreed with her completely. I hope you enjoy this fact that is tangentially Trek-related, but wholly relevant to the pod. So... These folks have uh, have ruined their home copy of Genius Edition Trivial Pursuit. Let me see if I can find what's going on here. Hmm. Okay, here we go. What does a man suffering from diphalic terata have? Oh, is this the question that makes fun of me? Is this having to do with, uh, with bowel movements? That condition is the name of... The condition of having two penises. And there's our answer. So all Klingons are suffering from diphalic terata. Diphalic wow. terata. I, you know what? With enough time, I think we could have put that t- together based on uh, the root words there. Yeah, diphalic uh, was a big was a big tip off. Right. But we don't have time or headspace. This is a mailbag episode. These things take forever to record and edit. Really glad that that card is no longer in their house. Uh, Either put it down the garbage disposal or mail it to us. Yeah, totally understood. Uh, Our next uh, letter is a uh, medium to small manila envelope from B. Cotton in Lafayette, Indiana. It's to... Messrs. B. Harrison and A. Pranica. That's us. 
Oh, I'm a messer, all right. This is a letter that's been sent through the mail in a manila envelope that just folded the little metal hasp down on the Whoa. back and that didn't, didn't lick the the little uh, adhesive strip. I like that. A lot of trust in... And what did you call that? The hasp? Yeah, I, I, it may or may not be called the hasp. I don't know. All right, here we go. Messrs. Harrison and Pranica, it appears I may have been too cute in trying to send you a brief note of... I forget now, but it was probably gratitude. Here is attempt number two. May the USPS have mercy on its soul. And then... Uh, along with the the note is a letter that uh, uh, got returned to sender because see that <laughs> because the addressee for our PO box here was listed as two guys who are a little bit embarrassed to have a Star Trek podcast. <laughs> and I guess uh, the post office near my house uh, didn't think that that was specific enough to put in the P.O. box. The the postal workers in our country are under enough pressure yeah. uh, without trying to do bits on them. So here's what I would say. Uh, no bits on postal workers uh, for yeah. the foreseeable future, all right? This is a letter that's been sealed with a wax seal and like a signet. So it's pretty exciting. It's, it, and, it's not a bottle of Maker's Mark? No. And it's a, uh, it's a postcard with a a cat doing like a shampoo mohawk on another cat. I can see that. This is written in cursive and it's been a long time. Let's mm-hmm. see. It says, Dear Ben and Adam, the artist's name is Pepe Shimoda, which is very close to PP Shimoda, which makes me wonder if Dr. Bashir and Jim ever crossed paths or crossed streams. Also, the painting brings to mind the halcyon days of the Star Trek haircast, except it's hair cats. <laughs> wow. I love it. I swear it to cue I'm sober, you guys. My personal situation doesn't permit me to increase my max fund contribution or purchase a P1, so you'll have to settle for this card as a small token of my appreciation for the smile you bring to me every Monday. Also... I'm writing this with a Newton Pen's pen that I received in exchange for writing the copy for the commercial P1 a while back. Wow! I remember that P1. That was a uh, a really neat pen company. Did this person just swear to Q? <laughs> Did I hear yes. that right? Yeah, but I, th- I think that's the Star Trek Q and not the awful oh. cult on the internet that is okay. trying to whip up the freaks of America into an anti-Semitic fervor. The John Delancey Q, a lot more fun. <laughs> uh, significantly. <laughs> uh, anyways, thanks again and much love, Ben uh, Cotton. Uh, and uh, this is a lovely picture of some cats, so thank you for sending it in, Ben. And uh, thanks for copywriting a P1 in exchange for a pen. Yeah, thanks for that. Very cool. That is a real power move to write a letter in cursive. I don't think I could do it. Yeah, I think my penmanship at this point is very... I mean, I guess you could call it cursive. <laughs> it's a bunch of wavy lines most of the time. <laughs> it's illegible in, in the way that much cursive is. If I really want something to be read, I'm printing it out. Yeah. All right, next one is from Kids Keeper. 
in Hartford, Connecticut, and it's to Uxbridge Dribota LLC. Oh, look at this. It says, thank you for your generosity of time and for bringing joy to so many people. Shana Tova, Hava and Josh. This is... Um, Shana Tova. Hava and Josh are the hosts of Star Trek and the Jews, which is a podcast that I was a guest on recently talking about being a you know a person that did not grow up in a jewish tradition but uh participates in one now and they have sent me a a star trek yarmulke <laughs> that's amazing this is awesome this is just wow. in time for the high holidays and uh are inside. you going to wear it ben for for the high holidays well, the great thing about the high holidays this year, Adam, is that they're all being done over Zoom, so Perfect. I shall. And uh, inside is printed, Into infinite diversity and infinite combination, Star Trek and the Jews. They've even included a little uh, a little barrette to, to clip the, the keeper to my hair so that it won't fall off. Because That's amazing. Anybody that's worn a yarmulke for any amount of time knows that it might fall off and you won't notice that it did because it still feels like you have it on your head for a long time after it has, you know, slipped away. Wow. That uh, is a danger. That's so great. Thank you so much, Hava and Josh. Next package is from N. Brown in Rye, New Hampshire, and uh, it's the TGG. This is like a bigger priority mail envelope. It's got the bubbles. It's got the bubbles. Dear Adam and Ben, this isn't a P1, so I'll try to keep it short, but I wanted to say thanks for all the laughs and single-handedly making me a Star Trek fan. Wow! I Single-handedly? To- yeah, we did it. <laughs> if you can convert one person, Ben, <laughs> really. It's worth it. Yeah. I started listening to TGG years ago during the TNG days because I was curious. I got about 40, 40 episodes in before I decided I needed to watch the show as well. And it only I love that this went- person's curiosity lasts. <laughs> like, I was curious about drugs, uh, so I did 40 lines of cocaine to see how that worked. <laughs> Uh, It only went uphill from there. I've enclosed a couple of things that I thought were fun. That copy of First Contact with a neat cover art, a story Nana Visitor told about auditioning for the role of Kira, and the only Trek joke I've ever come up with that doesn't embarrass me. (laughs) Glory to you and your house. Nathaniel B. from New Hampshire. So, um, let's see. No pressure to read this on the air or anything, but I thought you would get a kick out of Nana Visitor wearing Doc's and bumping loud rap music in the car on her way to her audition to get in character for Kira and maybe chuckle at my dumb joke. Uh, and then this says, it's from the Alpha Quadrant webcast, Nana Visitor's odd, uh, audition anecdote. She says, I remember going back and going, no, wait a minute, this isn't a woman's role. This is, because you got to think 25 years ago, what I was getting was you know, kids get off the couch and sitcoms, really light stuff where you were the girlfriend or the victim of the killer, nothing well-rounded, and this comes along and I was thinking, wait a minute, this is a man's role. They made a mistake. And when I found out it wasn't a mistake, I was so excited. I remember I had a dark green shift dress and I went out and got a pair of Doc Martens and the Doc Martens kind of informed me where I was and who I was. I listened to a lot of rap back then, and I still listen to rap, but I really pounded it in my car on my way to my audition, 
and it was my prep for it. And I walked in, and I was fully Kira when I walked into the room. Wow. Fully Kira. That is a fucking great anecdote. An audition's never easy, and it doesn't matter who you are. Like, it's, uh, it's interesting to hear that someone of her talents could still need to conjure an edge, you know? Right, yeah. I mean, how, how do you get into that character is yeah. a question that only she can answer. And I wonder if she's still got those boots. Yeah, that would be cool. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the Star Trek joke in question, uh, to the tune of Lil John's Get Low... <laughs> Deep Space Nine, damn she fine. Tell her she can warp it to me one more time. That was a tweet. <laughs> That's fun. So I read a tweet on the air. Uh, and here is like the a VHS last... tape, huh? Yeah, last thing in the box is the VHS of Star Trek First Contact. It's the kind with the hologram label mm-hmm, where mm-hmm. you look at it from different angles and you see different things. And mm-hmm. it's the Borg Queen, Data, and Picard. And depending on the a- angle, Data and Picard are Borgified or not. Mm. And uh, depending really on neat. the angle, Lily appears as <laughs> as the hero of the film. As an important character in the yeah. <laughs> development of warp engines. Yeah. <laughs> Where's Lily's statue? There's the there's the Zephram Cochran statue, and he's got his hand raised as if to the future. Where where the fuck is Lily? Yeah. There should be a ten times taller statue of Lily, right? You know, like standing over him. The Lily statue should be in front of Zephram Cochran, one hand giving Zephram, Zephram Cochran the finger, the other hand pointing toward the future. <laughs> Getting shit done. This is the last package. It's from Bo in Rochester, New York. This is the one that went to Max Fun, and it says Care of Friendly Fire and Greatest Gen. So hmm. we'll see what's going on in here. There is a sub package here. Was that also returned? Yeah, this is a, another... Oh, this went to the original P.O. box in Seattle, it looks like. Wow. Yeah, they. as soon as I closed up that box, they couldn't fucking wait to, <laughs> to switch it off. Let's check out what's in the, what's in the returned package. This has, been, this has been in the mail system for years at this point. <laughs> Got a piece of paper. It's to The Greatest Generation and then parenthetically, the podcast about Star Trek. Hi guys, I found these in a shoebox and I didn't know what to do with them. I suppose you could use them or pass them along or something. I just got into the show through Movie Crush and I'm still listening to season five of TNG, but I'm already a huge fan and basically can't listen to anything else. Thanks a lot. Wow, thank you, Bo. Movie Crush, our buddy Chuck Bryant's beloved movie podcast. Love that show, love being on it. Yeah, you're doing a a series on that show on your favorite director, P.T. Anderson. That's right. And I am doing a series on that show about my favorite directors, the Coen Brothers. We're both regular guests on Movie Crush now. Pretty fun. What Bo has sent are a series of OG Star Trek cards. These are the the ones with the, like, maroon border that are uh, mostly episode-specific. Those are the cards that I spent my my twenty dollar bill from grandma on when I was a little kid, at the Damn. at the sports card store. That was a story I told very early on. Yeah, in the Greatest Generation. I remember that story. 
Oh man, there's the uh, the blue ones about original series Star yeah. Trek in here as well. Yeah, get those out of there. When I went to that sports card store, I was giving, I was saying, give me the next gen stuff, man. <laughs> Keep that TOS um, stuff out of out of here. Got twenty dollars here, man. This is awesome. Thank you, Bo. Well. Uh, we have reached the bottom of the mailbag for today. Uh, I know that we have a lot of people in our email box asking for the P.O. box, and uh, I will I will share that soon enough. I've got a big move coming up, and like the yeah. number of objects coming into the house really radically needs to be limited at the moment. But thanks to everyone that sent something in. Uh, Adam, I, we were almost besieged by mail just now. <laughs> almost 558 packages came in during your last visit to the P.O. box, right? What do you say we get into Star Trek Deep Space Nine Season 7 Episode 8, The Siege of AR-558? Do you realize how incredible this is? (laughs) No, of course you don't. We begin uh, with a scene of live band karaoke, Ben. It's something I've never done, but secretly been interested in the idea of being backed by a live band at this time in the scene it's rom with a with a piano player (laughs) doing a rendition of an old vegas lounge song one two three four one she likes the free fresh wind in her hair not a great singer is rom no he's uh, auditioning to get in as the opening act for vic fontaine and uh i mean vic fontaine is Artful in the way he lets Rom down. Two singers on the same bill, that's a one-way ticket to Deadsville. But uh, we know the real reason why they're not going to let Rom be the opening act. It's nice to be told that it's not the quality of your singing. It's that this isn't the act that we're looking for. And that's how Vic Fontaine lets him down. I need a a stand-up comic or something. And this gave me the skin-crawly feelings. uh, Because anytime Star Trek suggests the idea, even of a stand-up comic. Uh, only bad and unfunny things happen. <laughs> Good evening, ladies and giants. So I was, like, looking on either side of the frame for a Joe Piscopo to arrive, and luckily there was none to be found. You made a living doing this? <laughs> yes, I did. That was very fortunate. Yeah, Brahm is, is not going to be the opening act. Uh, he is told that he's not the right race, but the, <laughs> the race that Vic Fontaine is looking for is hologram. <laughs> Rama's is like ready to uh, leave the club and Vic Fontaine's like, no, actually the uh, exit door's over here. <laughs> it's through the kitchen. Fucked up. Yeah. Kind of a random cold open for this episode, like really almost no bearing on what happens. Yeah. It's uh, exit Ram, enter Bashir, who is there to collect a honey stick full of Vic Fontaine's greatest hits. He's going to, like, much like a a person going on a road trip, you want to be ready with stuff to listen to. And uh, what is suggested here that he's going on a supply run and he wants a collection of Vic Fontaine's music to uh, help lighten the mood for this mission. Yeah, I think it's interesting that the Little D is a holodeck-free ship. Dude, I was just going to ask you that, which is... Knowing what we know about the hollow suites and the hollow deck, how do you make decisions on ship design based on like your hierarchy of ship needs? Yeah. 
I feel like holodeck should be a little bit higher than it is because holodeck right. can do so many things for a crew, not just entertainment. Why wouldn't you put it's one on It's not all jacking game? off. Sometimes you need to make a model of the warp core from back when the ship was in the shipyards at Utopia Planitia so that you can make a pass at the person that designed it. Total bullshit, man. It's just bullshit. Sometimes it's fucking to make babies. It's not just <laughs> recreational fucking. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes you fight a turtle face guy. Sometimes you fight a skull face guy. Yeah. I, it's interesting that there isn't one on the little D. I get it. It's 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 sold to us as a as a hammer. Like it's a utility right. ship with bunk beds in it. Like right. there will be no creature comforts here, but like there's more than one way to use a holodeck, you guys. Totally, yeah. St get your mind out of the gutter, okay? And also, like, I wonder about their different sizes. Could you make a holodeck out of a broom closet? Right. How big does a holodeck need to be to be effective? Right. It it seems like the hollow suites are way smaller than the than the ones on the Enterprise, right? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Anyway, uh, we know it's Friday because Ben Sisko is checking out that week's casualties on, I think after seeing it several times, what what is suggested is a sort of Vietnam memorial wall that just keeps growing as the <laughs> war goes on. Yeah, it's, uh, it's pretty grim. He is always in a bad mood when he's looking at this, and he gets interrupted in his reverie by Odo, who has some, you know, iPad of information to report. There's and, actually uh, a few casualties that aren't on the wall right now. I thought maybe maybe <laughs> you'd want to see these extra 40. Breaking news, Captain. Cisco uh. <laughs> says something here that I thought could have turned into bits for Odo. He says, like, you know... I. I used to read every single name thinking that that was the, the least I could do for the people who gave their lives in this conflict. Now they just blur together like founders in a lake or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> sort of like uh, they kind of anonymize themselves like one liquid going into a, another liquid and then becoming a part of that, that main liquid from before. Yeah, it's just like a big golden pool of dead people not a lot of odo in this episode this is the last we see him <laughs> yeah. you mean i got into my makeup for this one scene cool <laughs> i'm glad you made me look extra sad this episode <laughs> very little kira in this ep either we get a radio call from her uh to cisco at the end of this scene the little d ready to go and go they do uh Quark is going to be on the little D for this mission and is quite upset about it. He's been asked to do some fact finding on behalf of the Nagus on the front lines of the war. And uh, he, he is making like logistical complaints, but we know that Quark is a coward and he doesn't want to go be in danger anywhere. And that's like the main reason he doesn't want to go. But he's also saying like, you know, I, my bar doesn't run itself. I need to be there. And uh, Esri is, is there in the mess hall on the little D with Quark telling him, like, you know, 
give me a fucking break. Like <laughs> you're the head of your entire species tapped you on the shoulder and gave you and asked you to do something for him and you're and you're belly aching about it. Give me a break. I don't want to cut to the end here too soon, but Quark is my favorite character in this episode. And I think it's because of how his story arc begins. Uh, his very reluctance to be here, the suggestion that this is just a supply run. It's a very low stakes thing, but still like, yeah. what the fuck? He, he's saying what we're saying as a viewer. Why am I even here? Right. I wasn't even supposed to be here today. Right. Right. I also like that Quark is doing this, like, the way Quark is dressed is the way Quark is always dressed, which is fancy. Mm-hmm. But, like, you know he's, like, going somewhere that is, like, not, like, he should have, like, cargo pants and, like, a, yeah. and like a, and, like, a mountain hardware puffer jacket on or something, <laughs> you know? He, instead, he's in, like, a, a waistcoat and, a, and has, like, a giant brooch on his chest, you know? The scene transitions into one of bangers when a banger gets dropped on the little d and the next scene is insane to me so quark goes out into the hallway and finds he doesn't want to be left alone in the unexploded torpedo memorial mess hall right he said he's got bad memories about that place he goes out into the corridor and finds a very chill wharf just walking at sub walk speed through the corridor (laughs) a person who you would think would be on the bridge during any and all bangers, or at least if he's not there, running as fast as he can to get there. It made me wonder if Worf, as sort of the backup captain of the little D, like when Cisco's not on the little D, I feel like Worf is most often in the captain's chair. Is is Worf like coming up to the bridge when he's not even supposed to be there maybe but i i could not get over his lack of urgency here yeah. at all like yeah. like there's it, it's it not even super weird it's not even speed walking it's it's slower than you and i would walk on a sidewalk going to have lunch together yeah it's like oh shit wow fuck the ship might get blown apart well i guess i'll wander up to the bridge and see if there's anything i can do to help who knows have they stopped with the cloaking of the little D also now that they know that uh, their exhaust pipe gives them away? Do they not even try? Yeah, I feel like there is a very vague sense that the Jem'Hadar can sometimes see through a cloak and sometimes not. And I never mm. know when that's yeah. going to be a thing. Yeah. So, anyway... Quark makes his way up to the bridge with Worf, and Cisco treats Quark's presence like Quark is Cassidy Yates. A deeply <laughs> withering moment here between Cisco and Quark. Anybody here would like to join me in the mess hall for a Rattachino? Quark. I- I'm just leaving. And it's also not a great moment for Nog, who has a family member on the bridge potentially embarrassing him while he's trying to get work done. But they do dispatch this tick, which just seemed to be there to kind of harass them this is the chintaka system and quark had the impression that this was like firmly under federation control but like he came to the check out the front lines what did he think was going to happen yeah no combat yeah not the case they are beaming down to this place ar558 with supplies for the troops that are stationed there it's the doctor captain cisco nog esri and Quark is the away team. One of the 
most scattershot away teams that we've ever gotten, I think. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's an away team full of Rudies, for sure. <laughs> they really make up the Star Trek caves in an LV-426 kind of way. Like, right away, this is a place that does not look like fun. It does not look safe. No, yeah. And they basically, like... It's it's firefight already. They beam into a firefight, but it's Federation phaser firefight. This really reminded me of the planet that the original Kai got left on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because it's like some of it is caves for sure, but some of it just looks like caves, but you can't see. Like I, I'm assuming that there's sky in some of these sets. Never forget original Kai, Ben. Yeah. Still out there. <laughs> yeah. Unable to be so- killed. Being killed and then coming back to life periodically. <laughs> Trying to make peace among those random cursed warriors. <laughs> yeah. It's almost friendly fire here. Yeah! Before being given orders to stand down among the Starfleets. Uh, they stop shooting long enough to realize that it's friendlies all around them. Those are Federation faces. The people that were shooting at them were frontline soldiers that have been defending this place. And we we meet a few of these characters. We meet Vargas, who is the one that started licking shots in the atmosphere. Who told you to open fire? I saw movement. I thought it was the German door. Weren't you delighted to see Raymond Cruz here? Yeah. Always delighted to see Raymond Cruz. Definitely cast for his Patriot Games energy in this role. He's really carving out a nice Danny Trejo-like career for himself. Like, he's got a really good soldiery look. He often plays a soldier, but some of his soldier characters also, they have, I mean, they're fully colored characters and with inner lives and moments of comedy. Like, he's not just a one-note actor, but he does play very similar characters throughout his career. I really like his work. That gear of a guy who has like been taken way past the the limit of what he can handle. Yeah. Is really good and and that's what he is here to do. He is, you know, 5 months into, you know, a stationing that was supposed to last 90 days max before they were rotated off the front lines. 90 days. He is pissed. He doesn't care what your rank is and whether you know it or not. We also meet Nadia Larkin, which I wondered if she's any relation to the the infamous Edward Larkin. Makes you wonder. She's the lieutenant that's been left in command of this place after the captain and commander that uh, were over her were killed a, f- a few days ago. And AR-558 is an important site that the Federation is defending because it's got a Dominion communications node. The only reason anyone gives a damn about this place. And this was once 150 frontline soldiers that have been whittled down to like 40-something. And they've been just kind of marooned on this planet defending this site while engineers among them try to figure out how this communications node works and whether they can, like, start decoding Dominion messages that are being transmitted through it. Besides monitoring devices you see here, you'll be issued every ultra-modern piece of equipment we have to ensure your safety. The vibe of this scene is so instructive, right, in a way that a show tells you what it is early on and what its rules are. Mm -hmm. I was really blown away because, you know, what the idea is that this is a supply run and it may not be a big deal, even though it's behind enemy lines, but Raymond Cruz's attitude... Take it easy, Vargas. Take it easy? 
I would love to take it easy. As fucked up as everyone is down there, the hard-boiledness of the entire scene, it really yeah. catches you off guard. And I think one of the aspects that is so uncomfortable about this location is how Captain Sisko treats the moment. And I really wonder, like, if you're directing this episode and you're directing Avery Brooks, it made me wonder if Winrick Colby dialed Avery Brooks back a little bit because it felt like there is a scene and characters down here that would invite a kind of reaction that only Avery Brooks could give to things being very bad and desperate. And I don't feel like this is a great Avery Brooks episode because he is so tempered and neutral in an environment where it would be okay to observe and feel the kind of trauma that that he's seeing around him. It's it's actually off-putting to everyone, all the other characters that he meets, I think, because he's so clean and from somewhere else and they expect him to be leaving. Like maybe I'm answering my own question by the by describing him that way, but I could have used more Avery Brooks trauma because he's so good at it. The story that they're trying to tell here is that he goes from the number of names of dead people has just become an abstract number to me in a way that, you know, like I feel like is understandable to me in a whole new way. Like when you look at like a coronavirus chart on the internet, you're like, fuck bad news but it's not like it doesn't feel that personal but it's interesting that they save that realization for the end instead of beginning it right here which it easily could this is a fucked up scene and it's traumatic to witness yeah it's it's intense um we get to meet this communications array and some of the people that are working on it including will robinson one of the uh one of the uh one of the starfleet engineers Working on this, played Will Robinson in Lost in Space. Yeah. Pretty fun. This engineer begins a pattern of conversation with Esri Dax that makes me want to rewind the season and go back and play the Esri Dax drinking game, which is anytime a character asks Esri, are you a blank? And she says, no, but my previous host was a blank. You drink. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, you're going to die of alcohol poisoning by episode eight. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, and at what point does a symbiote get to claim that they are a thing that a previous host was is a question that came up watching this conversation because she is the thing she's describing. She is an engineer. She she is not was. She seems like she's better at it than he is, right? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, he didn't know that his frequency discriminator was drifting. She did. You don't want to discriminate frequencies in the 24th century. We're past that. (laughs) All the frequencies are the same. Infinite frequencies and infinite combinations. That's the way of the future. To be quite honest about it, I was in a pale. I'm fucking a pale. Mr. Bucket, I have to revert back to my dead state. I don't use the bucket anymore. Elsewhere, Nog and Quark are observing another of the characters down here that we'll get to know a little better as the episode goes on. This is Reese wearing a necklace of Ketracel white tubes as if they're severed ears in a Vietnam War movie. Survive a war. You gotta become war. Nog is super impressed by this, like, like speaks of it with covetous tones and, you know, considers all of these 
people, the, the, the 40 people that have been able to hang on here to be heroes. And Quark is really horrified by these people. Like he is, he's got like a very Hobbesian view of human beings. Let me tell you something about humans, nephew. Which is that when humans stop having nice shit, they, they revert back to a very vicious state of being, mm-hmm. which is a, is, is very interesting. Like that, like a very un-Star Trek idea, I think. But I think it is a very Ferengi idea. Like Ferengi have the, like this inherent suspicion of everyone. And I am personally much more a fan of the Rousseau view that human nature isn't inherently evil the way Quark seems to think it is. But uh, No, but deprivation can be a factor in in turning people in a way that can be dangerous. And I found Quark's description in this scene uh, something that I know I'm thinking about a lot differently in 2020 than people did in 1998. Right. It's uh, It's interesting. I mean, I tend to have an optimistic view of these things that like in tough times, people pull together in my, you know, like mm-hmm. I, I think it's like much more likely that an institution engages in like horrific shit than a group of people that are faced with a challenge, you know? Yeah, that's, that's well put. I mean, this is, uh, you and I have talked a lot offline about just what life is like, what life has been, what life could turn into in the short, medium and long term. And I found, uh, just even, even talking to you has been good therapy for me because you are more of an optimist than I am. And that's, uh, it's been comforting. It's interesting to have a character give voice to this kind of idea in Star Trek and right. have it feel authentic to the universe because Star Trek is such a techno utopian optimist universe. And, you know, I think Deep Space Nine is rightly cited as one of the darker Star Trek series, but I don't think it is in the human characters where it's darkness lies. It's, it's in the kinds of, things that the humans confront another aspect of the scene that i really like that is really elegantly done is the idea of a family member who is seen as a father figure which quark kind of is to nog there is some jealousy here like reese is a total badass and clearly quark is not and he's seeing nog appreciate someone else in a and look up to him in a way that like he knows he could not be that same type of of person to nog and so i feel like there is a little bit of familial envy right happening here in the caves bashir is trying to kind of triage some of these soldiers he's helping vargas with some injuries and vargas has a bandage on an arm that bashir reaches for and uh, vargas reacts very badly to this like to the point of holding a phaser under Bashir's chin and saying like you are never going to touch that that bandage and he explains like this you know a compatriot that fixed this wound up was killed immediately after uh putting putting this bandage on this is like the remnants of his uniform that he ripped up to to help me and now he's dead and I have this bandage on and I'm never going to take it off I'm never going to 
like dishonor him by taking this bandage off. Keep your hands off this bandage. When you've casted Raymond Cruz, I mean, this is the scene that you imagine using him in. He's yeah excellent in this. And I love how close they get with the camera in this scene. Like it's it's as close up a shot as you get in Star Trek usually. Like the the ECU on his face as he processes this memory and talks about what it was like to like see a guy that he thought was kind of an idiot but that was kind to him in a moment like this dead on the ground. Yeah, I mean there's a real wounded animal vibe to this happening and it's your proximity to these characters that makes it feel dangerous in a way that you're saying when the camera's up close this is hurting the Vargas character and even though Bashir's trying to help it feels very dangerous for him to be so close to him and that pathos is so needle pegging and it like you see you see Bashir realize like oh like I you know I thought we were like walking in to a place where like other people that are also in this war with us need some help and we're going to help them out a little bit and he realizes that like the war has been much much harder for these people and he is kind of putting his foot in it in a way Vargas takes Bashir over to the side and he's like uh the war is far worse than is generally known <laughs> on AR 558 Bashir goes straight to Cisco and is like, hey, listen, like, I know that, like, this is an important site, but, like, what you need to do is get word to Starfleet that, like, these people are on the brink. Like, their physical health is one thing, but the morale issue is not great. Feels like the whole crew needs a kick in the ass. Or a pat on the back, sir. He is kind of in the middle of making this case when the first Houdini goes off. Yeah, this is an introduction to the concept of a subspace mine, which appears out of nowhere. You can't scan for it because when a mine is in subspace, it's not scannable. So if you walk down a corridor and you're scanning for mines and there's no mine there, it doesn't mean there's no mine there. It means that a mine could appear there before you've arrived or after you're gone, and it doesn't matter. Scanning doesn't do anything. They yeah. just appear I don't know why they named these... After Houdini, because this seems like much more of a mine freak to me. They name them Houdini because the mine doesn't explode. It it flips you upside down, handcuffs your wrists together, and dunks you in a giant thing of water. Yeah, there <laughs> there was a uh, there was a version of this mine that just made you sit in a in a block of ice in Times Square for a week. No, no, David Blaine, no. No. But uh, it, didn't, it wasn't as effective. Later on, Reese gets Houdini'd by being attached to a bunch of balloons, and uh, <laughs> he just goes up into the atmosphere. Yeah, yeah. The the Penn and Teller mine is, is another variant that uh, tells you about libertarian politics for some reason, and you're like, give me a break, mine. <laughs> You knew the episode was going to drop a moment of choice here on Cisco, and that occurs when bangers are dropped on the little D while it's in orbit, and Cisco's on the surface. He's got to make a decision here. Does he allow himself and the crew to be beamed back up, or does he cut the little D loose for its own survival? Pop quiz, asshole. You have a hair trigger aimed at your head. What do you do? The decision he comes to is that the little d should leave and leave the away team behind on the surface but big picture wise ben 
this is like leaving a a general on the battlefield in the front line. Like, what is the comparison here? Right. It's like you, like Nechev. Admiral Nechev. Can I please my ass? That's the witchcracker and chop liver. <laughs> Was never beaming over to the Borg cube to see if they could turn off power nodes or whatever. <laughs> right. Right. At, and it feels like. Cisco is kind of a de facto belt buckle with how much control he has over the battlefield right right now. So it doesn't feel correct that he would either be on this away team or rightfully give an order for the ship to leave him behind. That, in an episode that I really liked, felt like a big clang in the logic of yeah. it. I think that what they needed to do was just tweak a couple of things about like w- like what the situation was in space. Like if it was make a, it that they can't beam him back. Like yeah, it, it's a mega tick. The if the little D drops its shields, it's done. Yeah, you know, like we got a bug out, and he says, "Get out of here!" Like we need to defend this anyways, or something like that. Get out and save yourself. Make the danger so acute that yeah, that they got a bug out. But to make it just a choice that Cisco makes didn't work for me. He gives the order that they got to hold this position and they man the front lines and Cisco starts trying to like scan Life. with a tricorder to see if he can detect Jem Hadar trying to overrun this position. And what Lieutenant Larkin explains is that um, they can't detect any Jem Hadar because all signals are getting jammed in both directions. We jam their sensors, they jam ours, that's how it works. Nog is the is the main detecting device that they have because of his big giant ears. So he's the person that they're leaning on to tell them whether or not Jem Hadar are coming, and he, he can't hear anything. I love the head fake of what the hell is Nog going to do here on a mission like this this is fucking stupid too oh yeah the ears <laughs> yeah oh, the ears are actually super useful reese is such a badass he may be the most badass star trek character we've gotten in quite a while are you nuts i said who's the all-time biggest badass not who's a dude nobody's heard about he's got kind of a randy couture quality about him like he looks like <laughs> someone who did college wrestling like, like he does not have cauliflower ear, but he ha- he kind of has like a cauliflower head. Yeah, he's cauliflower ear energy for sure. <laughs> yeah. We get our first battle scene here not long after this where we're confronting uh, Jem Halalograms <laughs> who appear. And I think it presents a kind of paranoia that pervades the rest of the episode after this, right? Yeah. Like, like, is this real? Is this not? I love the way they set this scene up, too, because the, the Demodar just start come like walking at them and they're not really firing back. They don't seem to be like trying to move tactically. They're not like trying to stay undercover as they advance on the Starfleet position. And it's just like, what are these cannon fodder ass Jem'Hadar doing? Like, shouldn't yeah. they be trying to win this fight? And then you realize that they aren't even really there. Yeah. The holograms were just a, a ploy to figure out what the position and 
force strength of the of the federation was and uh you know like they're they're kind of realizing this and and realizing that they've they've been had uh, when another one of these houdini mines goes off every every time they've got a scene where like they're they're like processing shitty information like this it gets made even shittier by somebody getting exploded by a houdini I love slash hate this. Like, I love that it's an ever-present danger. I love that you hear the bangs off screen. Like, it's it's meant to make you jump and yeah. feel awful at the same time. There's, there's this going on. There's a growing tension between Quark and Cisco about Nog being sent off on this mission. And I love how they're both kind of fathers in a way and... And the question of whether or not Cisco would send Jake out there is raised in a way that feels very real. It feels like so much of Quark's character is like bitching to bitch about stuff and being yeah. annoying and doing things that make Quark Quark. But so much of his character in this episode is about asking questions that feel very grounded in the reality of the moment. I bet you wouldn't send Jake out there. Jake is not a Starfleet officer. There is a new urgency around detecting these mines, and Cisco gives this job to Kellen and Esri to uh, to figure this out. Like, how are we going to detect these uh, these subspace mines? And uh, and they get to work on it. Meanwhile, Quark discusses this situation with Nog uh, and discusses how almost disgusted he is in Nog's behavior because he kind of feels like Nog is is Uncle Human a little bit, yeah, right? Right. Like he's he's trying to impress these people and and Quark can't imagine why anyone would want to do that. Yeah. Look at you. You hold that phaser rifle as if it were made of pure latinum. I really like that Nog has never wavered from this belief in himself and his place in Starfleet, though, you know? Like, his closest family member is questioning his reason for being yeah. and his reason for being the way that he is in this moment. And he's totally committed. Yeah, and Quark is too. Like, Quark is saying, like, we, if it had been the Ferengi sitting where the Federation was sitting when this had started, we would have, this wouldn't have been a war. We would have figured yeah. something out that was beneficial to everyone. Yeah. And Nog doesn't buy that. When Nog goes out on this mission with Larkin and they find the Jem'Hadar training camp, it's clear that Nog is good at this. He's not just a punchline the way that he can often be in moments like this. Like, he's brave he he uses his special skill he gets the job done the mission is yeah. accomplished but when the firefight starts shit goes down in a bad way and he's one of the ones that gets shot yeah Ferengi always hit that high note when they get hurt don't they yeah I like how the sequence works though the fire descends on them and their mission and we cut back to home base and their return and Larkin's been killed in this firefight. Nog is put on a stretcher as soon as he arrives. And Reese does that kind of battlefield begrudging honor thing where, where he tells Cisco like how great he was out there. He did all right. There is a moment where Quark accuses Cisco of like not caring about Nog the way he cares about other soldiers, and Cisco saying, like, I care equally about every soldier under my command. Mm -hmm. And it made me kind of wish that. 
Quark had been a fly on the wall in that opening scene with Odo because I wish he'd flipped that shit right back in his face. Like, oh, really? Because I thought like three days ago you were saying the names blur together for you. And it's like, it's right. just a bunch of math at this point. Like, That's a great call. That should have been called back somehow in a you don't know what it's like kind of way. That, right. that I feel like is appropriate for a moment like this. But, but as yeah. it is, like this is an example of Cisco absorbing and not directing uh, his feelings toward other people. Yeah. And being a leader, like it does become math at some at some points for him. But I also don't disbelieve him when he says he cares about his, his soldiers. Because when he goes and talks to Nog, like he is a great comfort to Nog. Is the word given, Admiral? The word is given. Nog feels like he's responsible for Larkin's death, like he failed the mission. And Cisco's like, no, man, like the things that we needed to know were the things you came back and told us about. Like the right. like the mission had casualties, but it was not a failure. It was a success. Bashir tells Quark that uh, that Nog is going to lose the leg and that uh, there are a couple of options on the table. There's lobotomy just to <laughs> just to clear the patient's memory of a traumatic event it's what i recommend the most in cases like these we've already arranged for a family on franganar that are prepared to tell him the lie that he was born without a leg and that he has always lived there with them he's going to work as a airport security specialist <laughs> We, we've done this several times. It's kind of a playbook. Yeah, I mean, and the reason for lobotomy is that there's no hope that, that the typical biosynthetic limb would take in a yeah. way. Because this is, this is a nice bit of world building about the Jem'Hadar weaponry. Like, we know that there are things that they shoot at you that make healing the wound extremely difficult. And so it stands to reason that were you to get a leg shot off, that your ability to grow a new one would almost also be compromised, right? Yeah, the the Gemini fight nasty. Esri and Kellen have have cracked the code. They working together figured out a way to tune a tricorder to reveal the position of these mines and. When they do, it is fucking crazy <laughs> how many mines there are. These are, they're floating all throughout the Star Trek caves. They look like they would be an awesome way to brush up on your lightsaber skills. <laughs> Pokey religions and ancient weapons are no match for a good blaster at your side, kid. I love the cut over to Vargas, who has had one materialize like three inches from his face. It's really well done, this reveal. Good job. So we get the typical battle scene prep moment where somebody draws a diagram of the battle in the sand. This is uh, this is Reese kind of describing how the Jem'Hadar will have to get to their position if they're going to try and storm it. And Cisco has come up with the idea of moving these Houdini mines over to this this ravine that the Jem'Hadar will have to to come through to get to them, and. There is like a moment of like, hey, didn't weren't we just talking about how mines are like a really unethical way to to fight a war? It really puts the mine on the other foot. 
this time <laughs> to plan yeah. like this. I feel like it, it would be one thing if Starfleet like was manufacturing mines and laying them down places. It's another thing to like use your enemies' minds on them, you know? Yeah. Yeah, and this is something that Esri is the one to give voice to. She's got the one yeah. she's got the second thoughts here. Uh, but everyone's like, shut up, Esri. This is the plan. With ten minutes left in the episode, I wondered at this moment. Is this ep really about the mines? Like, is that what the episode is about? The mines and their use? Oh, like, like, is this going to become a thing about, like, I can't believe you used mines at AR-558? That's kind of where I was at. Because at first I thought this was an episode about the communications array. And then yeah. I very quickly pivoted into, oh, this is an episode about a wounded character and how it will affect them. And now it's about using a a battlefield technique using a weapon that you have moral issues with. And I'm seeing how much runtime is left and I'm like, which is it going to be? What's the lane? Yeah. I think it's an episode that's in, in some ways about all of those things. Um, they get there. There's like a, a few minutes of tension in anticipation of the battle that is broken when Bashir turns on his honey stick Bluetooth speaker <laughs> <laughs> starts playing his Vic Fontaine records for everyone. Uh, slightly unnerving. <laughs> yeah. What the hell is that? It's not a great season for Bashir. I think you and I can agree about that. But this turn into Bashir being the guy at the beach with a boombox is maybe <laughs> yeah. maybe the worst aspect to him. <laughs> we brought our kids to the beach today, sir. We don't want to hear pull over that ass too fat blasting at 10 you know what this scene made me think of was that scene in three kings toward the end where they get the uh they get the mercedes limousines and they're escaping and Uh they're out in the desert and chicago's if you leave me now is playing (laughs) yeah that's the vibe when vick's music plays on the battlefield it's it's a stylishness to this uh incongruity that I don't think you often get on Star Trek. It's like college level stuff. Yeah. And very late nineties stuff too. (laughs) Right. Right. The final battle really gave me final battle of platoon vibes. Yeah. They are converging from all sides on our position. They are inside the perimeter. Now we are like going to butting rifles up against their chins to fight them off situation. And, a very terrifying image as Cisco hits the ground and a Jem'Hadar is about to shoot him and, and we fade to black. That platoon description is so apt because what is the score doing here? The score isn't doing uh, war music. This is not like Conan the Barbarian music score here. This is like the Adagio Triumph for String score. Yeah. From Platoon, and that changes everything about how it feels. A lovely fucking war. Bravo 6 out. To the episode's credit, you really don't know whether when the camera fades back up if Cisco's going to be around or not. Right. I mean, like, you're doing the television math, like, Cisco probably comes back next week, but uh, I don't feel like it's a foregone conclusion. What a bold choice to kill him in episode 8 of the final season. Like, that <laughs> would have been incredible. <laughs> Seriously. So the prophet is 
the the emissary of the prophets is just dead <laughs> from this point forward uh starfleet captains are really not permitted on away teams i know it was like <laughs> a policy that was a little bit flimsy that people like to break but yeah. we, we promise this time captain's prerogative is not an excuse anymore right there's an elliptical edit here right there's the blackout and the come to and one thing we glossed over a little bit was that quark kills a guy during the battle a guy yeah. who who rushes the infirmary, like yeah. it goes off in this battle scene before we black out. And when we come to again, it's Reese that helps him up. Kellen's dead, which gives us like the counterpoint of the peaceful warrior is the one that dies. It's the the battle weary warrior yeah. that lives. The ring of Jesus fire. Yeah. Necklace of Jem'Hadar tubes guy. Made yeah. it just fine. Yeah, and it's a it's a Ben Cisco that doesn't really have feelings about his own survival and very soberly like takes stock of the scene and is like mission accomplished. Yeah. Worf tries to to gas him up about how great a battle this sounds like it was, and that is just not the mood that Cisco is in. Yeah. The USS Veracruz is arriving with replacement troops and they beam out of there with Reese, Worf, and Cisco. Reese leaves his uh, his crazy Jem'Hadar knife behind. Not a sentimental man. No, I mean, and if you were writing a film paper about this episode, I think you might consider this scene one of of importance, right? Like for a man like Reese to lay down his weapon could mean his life changes here. Like maybe yeah. he never fights again. Maybe, I don't know, maybe a number of things, but I think it's a yeah. significant moment. The button on the episode is in Cisco's office where Kira comes in with Friday's numbers and Cisco sort of recommitting himself to not treating this as an abstract number of dead people and, Reavowing that he needs to think of each of these per people as a whole person who is now gone from this world. It's a very grim, grim episode. When I think about whether or not I like the episode, though, I think it really comes down to this moment. Because for, mm -hmm. it, for it to have weight, I think you need to get with the idea that Cisco is a changed person from the beginning to the end. And I just don't want to believe that Ben Sisko ever thought that these people were blurring together and weren't individuals that had died during war. I just, I don't know if the episode did enough to establish that he had lost the feeling of this thing. And were it to do that, I think his journey is more profound. Hmm. But I'm not saying I didn't like the episode because I did. And I and like I like that we get a hyper realistic Star Trek episode depicting war as a horrible, scary place where like it's not romanticized and beam weapon heroic. It's like ugly and charred and scary where yeah. legs get shot off. And like who is the one who lost innocence here? Is it Cisco? Did he have innocence to lose? I think it may be Nog, but yeah. like this this didn't feel like a Nog-centric story. 
in yeah. in an interesting way. Like it, it, it seemed like it kind of focused much more on Quark and Cisco than anyone else. I wonder if moving the focus a little bit, like I know a lot of people praise this episode for being for going as dark as it went to making the darker points that it does. But I mm-hmm. wonder if you don't get even darker by by moving the focus around a little bit differently, maybe yeah. onto onto Nog specifically. But I think we're gonna have future episodes that that hopefully drill into that a little better. That's sort of the promise of Deep Space Nine at this point, right? Yeah. Like if 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 a stone was left unturned, you can actually hope for it being reflipped in the future. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think on TNG, a character would get his leg shot off in one episode and then it would come back the next and there would be no (laughs) conversation about it. Right. (laughs) Well, Adam, do you want to see if we have any uh, Priority One messages in the inbox to turn over? Uh, We're definitely not going to reject that transplantation. (laughs) Priority One message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Need a supplemental income. Supplemental. 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 Yeah, it's extra. But the interest alone could be enough to buy this ship. Ben, our first priority one message is from Savannah to you and me. Oh, hey. The message goes like this. Now everyone knows that I'm a little bit embarrassed to be a huge sci-fi nerd, but what this P1 presupposes is maybe I'm not embarrassed enough to keep myself from dropping 100 (laughs) scarves on two awesome dudes that are also big nerds. Thanks for all the laughs. Hey, thank you, Savannah. That is a super nice message. I don't know uh, where you got those laughs, but they didn't come from us. Those must be misplaced laughs. Right. Yeah, sometimes uh, the viewers supply the laughs. Yeah. Not a lot of laughs in this episode as as an episode of DS9, for sure. Yeah, yeah, I felt... uh, it, it, it felt hard to be a comedy podcast talking about this episode, didn't it? Yeah. yeah. We have another Priority One message. This one is from, from Kevin L. And it is also to you and me, Adam. It goes like this. Thank you for all you have done to help support Black Lives Matter. I was unsure where to focus my efforts. I really appreciate you taking the lead and showing others how to help financially. You guys gave me hope for the future when I had none. Remember when you are down how your everyday leadership has already helped so many people. Oh. Wow. That's really sweet, Kevin. Thank you. Yeah. Kevin is referring to uh, our our fundraiser that we did surrounding the uprisings in response to the George Floyd murder uh, that uh, I think we promoted uh, for a while on here and probably could do to promote more often it's uh, friends of desoto for justice i think the short link is bit.ly slash greatest trick those that have contributed to friends of desoto for justice have already raised uh over seventy thousand dollars which is uh, really <laughs> incredible pretty astonishing i uh, i i am so proud of our viewers for for doing that that is just the most amazing thing um uh well thank you to kevin and savannah for supporting us and uh, if you'd like to get a message on the show you can go to maximumfun.org slash jumbotron where it's 100 bucks for a personal message and 200 for a commercial message and we super appreciate all the help
One of the amazing things about making The Greatest Generation is getting to see all of the cool, creative stuff that the Friends of DeSoto make when we do a Code 47 episode. People send in handcrafted stuff all the time, and they send in their books, they send in paintings, they send in uh, crochet work. It's so cool. And uh, I want a few more of you to have websites to direct us to in those letters. I want you to put your beautiful work on display for the world so that when we get to look at it, we can tell people where to go to get a look at it themselves. And you don't have to know anything about building a website to build a website these days because you can use Squarespace. It'll look beautiful no matter what kind of device people are looking at it on. Hell, you can even sell stuff using a Squarespace website. Don't make your cool, creative project captain's eyes only. Head to squarespace.com slash scarves for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use offer code SCARVES to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Boy, do I love a microdose gummy from Lumi Labs. I'm, uh, I'm running low, so I'm going to head over to microdose.com pretty soon and put in another order. Microdosing is a technique I use to steer my mentals in a preferred direction several times a week. And uh, I just love it because you can really predict what is going to happen and to what degree it is going to happen. Because these are very low dose cannabis gummies that uh, give you an entry level dose that help you feel just the right amount of good. And they've been super loyal as sponsors to Greatest Trek and Greatest Gen, so I hope you will give them a try. Get 30% off your first order, plus free shipping today at microdose.com. Promo code SCARVES. It's available nationwide. That's microdose.com. Promo code is SCARVES for 30% off and free shipping. Microdose.com. Promo code SCARVES. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org slash newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Hey, Adam. What's that, Ben? Did you find yourself a drunk Shimoda? Drunk Shimoda! We were talking about it before, just how unfunny this episode was. I think the <laughs> only one having any fun might have been uh, Rom. 
But even Rom didn't have fun because he gets the big letdown yeah. by Vic Fontaine. So I think I'm going to make my Shimoda Vic Fontaine, wow. who seems amused by Rom in this scene, is uh, is made to let him down easy. And I think uh, I think does give a big city letdown here in a way that only he can. So yeah, uh, Vic Fontaine, my drunk Shimoda. My drunk Shimoda is Worf uh, for that scene at the end when he's uh, trying to, I think he's trying to comfort Cisco, but there's a culture gap issue at play because uh, Worf suggests like this, this was worthy of, of story and song, this, this battle. And Cisco's <laughs> like, you, you guys pay for, for stories and songs with blood? What the fuck? <laughs> and really flips that back in Worf's face in a way that <laughs> I just felt so bad for Worf. The Klingon jukebox doesn't take quarters, Ben. <laughs> takes blood. <laughs> Worf was just trying to help, man. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, Worf is my drunk Shimoda. A couple of good Shimodas. Do we have a good episode coming up, Ben? Uh, for that... I will ask you to see what's on the launch pad while uh, I head over to the game of buttholes. Will of the Prophets. Yeah. Well, the uh, next episode is season seven, episode nine, Covenant. Kira is held hostage by her old enemy, Dukat, who has become the leader of a Bajoran religious faction. Oh, no. Yeah. I don't know how that happens. Huh. All right, Adam. I've got to roll... A dice on a game. That game is at gach.biz slash game. And it determines how we will be watching this next episode. Uh, currently, our runabout is on square 22. Just out ahead, there is a banger. And I think we could also hit a Naked Now episode, potentially, here. If I roll a six. You really need a big roll. We got to... We got to make up some ground here. Yeah. Too many shoots, not enough ladders. <laughs> yeah, there's this is this game is definitely based on shoots and ladders, but we didn't build any ladders into the game, did we? <laughs> Oops, all shoots. <laughs> You're required to learn as you play. Roll. Did I win? Hardly. Well, Adam, uh, I have rolled a four, so pretty big roll. It's on the upper end of things, uh, but gets us to square 26. Regular old episode next week. All right. Well, I'm looking forward to that. Looking forward to talking about more Deep Space Nine goodness with you. Yeah. Looking forward to a Kira episode. Yeah, that's, that's really what I was getting at. I hope we have a couple of centerpiece Nana Visitor episodes in store before the end of the series. I think uh, she deserves it. Yeah, me too. Um, well, that that will all be next week. In the meantime, uh, we could uh, we could use your help if you've uh, enjoyed the program and would like to support it financially. Uh, and I'd encourage you to head to MaximumFun.org slash join and set up a uh, monthly membership. You'll get all kinds of bonus content from us and from all the other shows on the network as well as uh, potentially... You know, prizes. I think there's like magnets and T-shirts and stuff in the uh, in the non-Max Fun Drive part of the year for for new members. Every uh, every new member is greatly appreciated. We appreciate everyone. It's really uh, it's 
really a miracle to think about, to be honest. Yeah, it's totally uh, changed our lives, and we super appreciate it. You can also follow us online. We've got a couple of social media accounts under the tag Greatest Trek on Instagram and Twitter. Follow the Greatest Trek accounts. They're really fun to follow, and uh, those are run by our good buddy Bill Tilly, the card daddy. That's right. Part of the reason our show sounds so good isn't just Ben and I talking into these professional quality microphones <laughs> uh it's the music and uh we love the music on this show uh the original music made by dark materia the uh updated introduction and interstitial music made by a friend of the show adam ragusia who's also a great big youtube star go go watch a video of his if you got a free moment i don't think you'll regret it at all he does he does great video no regrets oh Tell a friend about the show. Give us a nice rating online. Uh, check out our other shows on Maximum Fun. We got Friendly Fire, our war, our hit war movie podcast, and The Greatest Discovery, our podcast about all the new Star Trek coming out. Uh, we're having tons of fun over there, and I bet you would enjoy that if you enjoy this. Buy an ad over on uh, Star Trek, the pod directive. <laughs> yeah, advertise our show, show on our behalf. <laughs> We're not going to pay for that. <laughs> yeah, you already said you wouldn't. Well, with that, we'll be back at you next time with another great episode of Star Trek Deep Space Nine and an episode of The Greatest Generation Deep Space Nine, which I hope isn't one of our last times to lavish praise one of our favorite actors on this show. Love letter to Nana Visitor. Might be, though. Yeah, it might be. Might be her last episode. Who knows? Getting toward the end here. We're winding down. It's scary. Fund.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.